it's starting. You know, the unofficial judging is starting. If Do you, you feel that way? Yes. Because, um, I mean, there is the judging process for the actual competition, but there's also that part where people are looking at you because they're looking for the person that's going to represent the whole city of Los Angeles. Everybody and their mom is looking at you. Does it make you uncomfortable? Are you a person who feels like at ease being the center of attention in a giant room of people? You know what? In the past, I was very shy growing up. I think to some point I was sort of like paranoid. I was like, ah, uh, or scared. But um, now I'm completely the opposite. <laughs> this is Jose, one of the 11 contestants up for Mr. Los Angeles Leather this year. And James, can I say something that feels like a little rude? You always do. So go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I asked Jose if he's uncomfortable being the center of attention because... It's pretty clear the answer is yes, right? I mean, yeah. From what I can tell, he's the shyest guy in the competition. And I think despite what he told me, he kind of knows that too. I don't know. I, I don't consider myself um, um, the big person that likes to go out. And I'm, you know, I don't know. I never really thought of myself as winning something big. And if I did, that would be awesome. I'd be... I would feel like Miss America in a way, <laughs> you know, Miss Leather America or something. You know? This is The Competition. I'm Elissa Dudley. And I'm James Kim. We're three days away from Mr. L.A. Leather 2018. And I went to visit Jose at his apartment. He's a veteran, a father of two, and he's first-generation Mexican-American. And he's nervous. It's not easy, you know, doing a competition for anything, really. You can prepare all you want, but once you're on stage and you have everybody looking at you and you have a mic in, in front of you, it's completely different. <laughs> and so to get himself ready to be on stage, Jose took advantage of these mock interviews you can do where basically you go and they simulate the panel of judges that will interview you on competition day. And they put you through it like it's the real thing. So when I did my mock interview, they asked me, so what's your speech going to be about? And I told them, honestly, I haven't prepared anything. And they asked me, okay, well, what got you into the scene? And that's when I explained it. And they were like, okay, but but what did it? And I was like, oh. And that's when I was like, yeah, that's really intimate. I don't. Not that I don't like talking about it, but it's so um, tender, I guess. Because a lot of things go into play, and yeah. So now you're going to have to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I grew up in a typical Mexican family. We're first generation here. I was born in Mexico, but I was brought here when I was a baby. So I, I grew up my whole life here in L.A. For the most of the majority of my childhood, I was just really mostly scared of being myself. You know, I never really identified as gay, straight, or anything really. I was mostly just straight, parentheses. <laughs> my dad was very macho, chauvinistic type. Um, very, He was very the Mexican type that would break his leg and still show up to work and never go to the doctor. You know, 
I did get caught playing around with one of my friends when I was really young. And his comment was, you better not be gay because I'll beat it out of you. Growing up, I would still meet up with guys, but I would never, I never thought of myself as having a relationship ever with a man. Why? Because I just thought it was gross. But I still had that urge to be with a man sexually. So whenever I would meet with somebody, it would be this just typical one night stand, just meet up, have sex, and that was it. But every time I would do that, I would feel so shameful and guilty, like, oh, what did I just do? Why? Why do I feel this way? <laughs> you know? So as Jose got older, he learned to cope with all these feelings by trying to do exactly what his family thought he should. I got married. I had kids. I held a job. And I had a, I had a home. And I thought, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, because that's what I was taught as a Mexican male. Wait, so he married a woman? Yes. And this wasn't a sham wedding or anything. Like, Jose really wanted me to know that him and his wife were super in love. They were high school sweethearts. And when they were together for a long time, they were really happy. They had two kids, a son named Nathan and a daughter named Faith. And when they got divorced, it was for reasons that anyone gets divorced, you know? Now, Jose identifies as pansexual. But at the time, even after his divorce, he was still living life as a straight man. I was on the what you would call the DL. Because of, you know, uh, being raised so, so strict, you know, it was not okay to be gay, obviously. So I would hook up and have that shameful sex. Because Jose is having a lot of casual sex, he decides he should probably get on PrEP, which is a medicine you can take every day to lower your risk of getting HIV. Yeah, and it's a pretty normal thing to do. I mean, a lot of gay men are on PrEP. Yeah, so Jose goes to the VA to see his doctor, because he's a veteran, and his doctor tells him he should probably get tested too, which is something Jose had not been doing. So they did the test. And I was just waiting for the results. So about maybe a month later, I get a phone call in the morning before I was going to work. And it's my sister. And she goes, hey, uh, dad just had a heart attack. I'm like, holy crap. Okay, I'll be right there. So I didn't even get on the freeway and I get another phone call and it's my my doctor. She goes, hey, Jose, um, so we got your results back. And they came out positive for HIV. And at that point, I was still in shock over my dad. So Jose says, all right, let me know when my next appointment is. I've got to go. Like, I'm just going to have to figure this out later. And then I just got on the freeway and went to the hospital. I remember he was in the hospital on, on, on the bed. And I was just sitting there, you know, just spending time with him. And I don't know where the conversation started, but he just goes, I know I'm a bad person. I'm like, that's not what I meant. <laughs> and I don't think you're a bad person, but that kind of stuck with me. Like, 
I felt like he, he in, in a way, had some guilt that he carried with him. I think that was one of the things that I would have liked to have talked to him about. Uh, my dad passed away two weeks later from another heart attack. There was a lot of stuff I wish I wish I could have told him. It was hard. The reason why it was so hard for me, you know, growing up and why I fell into that depression is because I always looked for him to be accepted by him. And he was always the one that never really did. Jose was kind of reeling after his dad died. And he says it took him months to start processing his HIV diagnosis. The first person he told was someone he'd been seeing for a while. At this point, they were a good friend, and I would uh, meet up with them for casual, casual sex. And um, I told them, "Hey, you know what? I just found out about my diagnosis." Um, and I expected them to be like, "It's okay, you know, I'm here for you. It's okay," because that's, you know, what I would do. <laughs> they told me. Um, why have you been lying to me? And we can't be together. We can't see each other. And I'm like, first of all, I haven't been lying to you. I just found out and I'm telling you. And second of all, every time we've met up, we've always used the condom. Well, that's besides the point. I can't see you anymore and blah, blah. I'm like, so because of that, you're going to not talk to me anymore? He goes, well, I just can't talk to you. We can't see each other no more. I'm like, wow. And that's when it, it hit me. That's when I had, I felt like I had to accept myself again, once again, after I just, you know, learned to accept myself for being, you know, who I am. Now I have to accept myself as being an HIV male. How were you feeling when he was talking about all this stuff? I mean, I think you can hear in the tape that it was a pretty raw moment. I get the feeling that he doesn't talk about this experience very often. So I'm kind of curious, and to be honest, a little nervous for him to see what happens when he tells the story on stage Saturday. I mean, I'm kind of shocked that he decided to tell this story in front of hundreds of people with lights and with judges, especially if he's a shy guy. Yeah, but I will say that the way Jose tells the story, I mean, the way he's processed it, actually has a silver lining. After my diagnosis and what happened, I figured, you know what? Life is too short. I need to be happy. I need to not be so narrow-minded, so close-minded, and just enjoy myself. If anything, I need to explore this part about my life. And see if if this if I really am just gay, then I'm gay, and so what? At the time, Jose was working at a nonprofit, and he started getting close with one of his coworkers. Starts confiding in him about everything. He goes, um, "Let me take you out." I'm like, "Okay, where?" Because I'd never been to a gay bar before. Never. Never. And how old were you at the time? This was three years ago, so I was like 31, 32. Oh, wow, he's a late bloomer. I know, I was really surprised by that too. But it sounds like going to a gay bar was just 
never something that had occurred to him before. Like, growing up, it felt so out of the question that he never thought about it. Yeah, I completely get that. I mean, I have friends who didn't come out until they were in their 30s, like Jose, and they had the same feelings. It just ultimately was like a comfort level thing. But when they finally did go out to a queer space like WeHo, it was like a slap in the face of gay. <laughs> it was a little bit like that for Jose, too. Big culture shock. I get in there, they, I see a bunch of guys wearing leather, with no shirts on, big hairy dudes, big, um, you know, muscular or overweight guys with no shirts, and they just don't care. I'm like, wow, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, this is something you don't see every day. It's not just the big culture shock in what you see, but also the level of kink and fetish. I mean, you see, you know, videos or people talk about it and stuff like that. But now actually seeing people like just kissing each other or just grabbing each other. And I'm like, wow. This is cool. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he was super into it. And he just kept coming back every weekend. Honestly, I fell in love with it. Why? Because it's not that pretty boy scene that you always think about when you think about the whole gay scene. You know, West Hollywood thing. And I loved it because you can be yourself. And you're accepted, you know? I'm like, I, I love that. Jose is way more comfortable with himself and his sexuality now than he ever was before. But still, being on display like this and competing in such a big public way, it's a lot. Do you think he'll be nervous Saturday, like right before you go on? Probably, yes. Yeah. I'm just going to do my best. Definitely. Um, they've seen my my award sash for, for Christopher Street West and everything. And I told them, yeah, I want it. I want a, an award. You know, Daddy won an award. And what I, do oh. they think it's for? Yeah. I didn't explain exactly what it was because they're probably just going to nod their head and yeah. keep playing their game or whatever they're doing. But I just said it's for a, a, for a leather award. You know, people that wear leather. Yeah. They're like, cool. But I also do have other stuff out here that every once in a while they'll see. And they'll question me and, and I tell them, you know, well, my, my Tom of Finland calendar. They asked me about it and and there's nothing graphic about it. It's just guys that are wearing different types of uniforms. But they asked me, why are they, why are those guys wearing so tight uniforms and I'm like, well, that's what they like to wear, you know? And it's okay. They could wear that. And I always do talk to them about it. So if they have questions, yeah, I tell them, hey, that's what I like to wear that sometimes. I have my <laughs> my my lube on the side of the bed, which is called gun oil. So my son thinks I have a gun now. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of, yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like me being into leather or, 
you know, having a fetishy side or a kinky side should determine how good of a father I am. Um, if anything, I want to be the opposite of what my dad was, and I want them to be happy around me. I want them to be able to want to spend time with me. I want them to be able to talk to me and tell me how their day went or whatever it is that's going on in their life. They're my future. They're my life. They're my everything. So if anything, everything is for them now. If anything, I'm going to learn from this and, you know, teach my kids to be themselves be good people and love themselves. Next week on the competition, Pup Yoshi. I mean, I see my Asian leather friends and the joke is it's like, okay, are there two of us, three of us? Okay, we made the quota. It's it's a it's kind of a gallows humor way of thinking about it, but that it's the reality of things. It's like why are people that look like us not here? And that's kind of one of the things that I want to explore and find out. Why is that the case? The competition is hosted by me, Elissa Dudley. And me, James Kim. Our editor is Cameron Kell. Who also did the music along with me and Ryo Baum. And our theme music is by Andrew Eapen. Until next time.